1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number one hundred and seventeen of Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my president or past employers. I've never disclosed any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to or a result of my current employment. I never never knowing disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up to date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show, and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we had a great show last week, uh, to sort of kick off the new year. We had the CEO and co-founder of Veriden, Chris Key, on the show with us, where he talked about the use of instrumentation the quantification of cyber risk in financial terms, and why organizations' investment in technology controls are only performing at 25%. This is a, this is a subject that is very sort of near and dear to my heart. I talk about this a lot. It's a lot of fun to talk about, to be honest with you, because um, I still have, you know, there's still a lot of people out there that are insistent that you can't quantify cyber security risk in financial terms. And I think it's just because I don't want to be able to have to answer to their boards and their executive leadership committees and, CIO councils and things like that. I think that's pretty much why uh, they don't want to talk about it, but because clearly you can uh, do this. And so Mr. Key also spoke about some other things too. He spoke about the the false assumptions that cybersecurity professionals often make on the technology that they implement, which I thought was uh, fun and interesting. And then on how to get business leaders aligned closer with the security mission, which is something we all have to do. Um, And we, we all know that that's a struggle sometimes. And also, what to expect with the talent crisis and migrating to the cloud and election security in 2020, which is something we talk about often on this show. So, it was a great show. If you really, if you, if it was a great show to listen to, especially if you really want to learn how folks are measuring cybersecurity risk and quantifying this risk in the financial terms, I mean, this is, this is the show for you. I mean, after all, there, there's still plenty of naysayers out there that, that say you can't do it. And if you want to, you know, find some place where you could start your research to get all the talking points that you need for your risk debate. This show is definitely a a great starting point. So that's the CEO and co-founder of Veridin, Mr. Chris Key on last week's episode. That's episode number 116 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on Playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And, of course, we have our new section where you can also check out the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio especially. And you can write comments and interact with other folks that also listen to the show. So it's a lot of fun. We're on at least a dozen different playback mediums now, and we've made it super simple for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you will see your entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which is the best way to stay connected to the extended TF7 family. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have another tier one cybersecurity guest for you this evening, of course. We have a partner and shareholder with the law firm Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Farillo is going to be with us this evening. Paul is super intelligent. He's super articulate. And he is a, I I use this, I don't use this uh, term, you know, uh, often. I use it very sparingly. But he he can definitely be considered a cybersecurity legal expert, a legal expert. He's a lawyer. He focuses his practice on cybersecurity corporate governance issues. He does complex securities and business litigation, internal investigations as well. He assists his clients with governance, disclosure, and regulatory matters relating to their cybersecurity postures, In the regulatory requirements which govern them. So Paul represents public companies and their directors and and officers and, and shareholder class and derivative actions, as well as internal investigations. In particular, he has coordinated numerous internal investigations on behalf of audit committees and special committees and handled the defense of securities class actions alleging accounting irregularities and financial fraud. Paul represents clients in a wide range of industries. He works in several different verticals. He works in retail, apparel, financial services, investment banking. He's pretty much done it all. Private equity, energy, oil and gas, real estate. He runs the gamut. And he is also the author of Navigating the Cybersecurity Storm, a guide for directors and officers. And he also co-authored the book, Take Back Control of Cybersecurity Now, Game-Changing Concepts on AI and cyber governance solutions for executives. So it's time to welcome to the show, partner and shareholder at the law firm, Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Ferrillo. Paul, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio.
2: George, thanks for inviting me today. Um, Look forward to being with you and your your colleagues on air. Hey,
1: I'm really excited to have you. I wanna get your opinion about a few things. I know you have some specific subject matter expertise here in the cybersecurity realm, I want to start off by sort of level setting what the state of the cybersecurity ecosystem is today and what you're really seeing out there in terms of whether it be ransom attacks. I want to get to Iran too, of course, especially in this episode, because uh, it's hot and heavy right now and, and everyone's talking about it. But what's the state of the ecosystem in your opinion?
2: Ugly, as they say in the business.
1: <laughs> um,
2: we are seeing a lot of ransomware a lot of ryuk r y u k um a lot of um businesses that are being shoved offline displaced for uh weeks if not months um you know despite all good intentions and despite 1742 articles on the need to back up your systems you know, we are not that good at doing so, and therefore running into all sorts of problems when we get a ransomware attack. You know, that that is a particularly ugly problem. BEC compromises, um, again, after all that's been written, are surprisingly still a huge problem, um, costing us billions of dollars. Um, and then, you know, needless to say, a, a, a nation state attack. Can cause all sorts of issues on its own.
1: So when I say ugly, I mean ugly. Yeah. So what do you think the the, the root cause of this problem is? It's just a bad cyber hygiene that's allowing these attacks to become successful and wreak chaos on the industry.
2: You know, I I I I struggle with the root cause here because I know what advice I give and I know. What advice my colleagues give? Um, I I hate to say it, but you know, do some clients feel they're not a target? Yes. Do some clients feel that they have nothing to steal? Yes. But the simple fact of the matter is, if you're on the internet on a public-facing website, you have something to steal. And, and you have a business and you likely have employees. And um, I can only point to the story a couple of weeks ago about the business uh, that had a ransomware attack shutting down and having to file for bankruptcy and all the employees lost their jobs before Christmas. How horrible is that? Truth, uh, I don't exactly know why things are bad. I, I, I do think it's, it's guys like me who need to be more vocal and message more to get the word out there on the, on the cyber hygiene basics.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I want to uh, get to Iran early on in the show here um, because a lot of people are talking about it and, and what uh, they should do about the current situation and if they should take any additional steps. I'm getting calls. Uh, all the time, asking me, hey, look, you know, how should we position ourselves? Is there anything specific that we should be doing? What do you expect from a cybersecurity perspective out of the situation with Iran right now?
2: Well, I, I think you have to bucketize the problems here. Uh, I, 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 I dabble in national security issues for various people, and certainly I worry about GPF, uh, GPS spoofing attacks in the Persian Gulf. And what we have already seen is the propensity to throw off a ship off course and can get that ship confiscated and cause a whole big mess. And I don't think that's good for anybody. It's certainly not good for industry. It's not good for oil prices, or maybe it's too good for oil prices, but I worry about the national security aspects and critical infrastructure. But I will say, you know, if you look back at Iran's history, in cybersecurity, they have um, one one big thing that they've been very successful on is wiperware attacks. If you look back to um, Shamoon, you look back to Saudi Aramco, they are very good at knocking you to their ground in a knockout punch, in a knockout punch, and um, and destroying your backups and just putting you offline. I think as we tell clients who are trying to avoid big, bad ransomware attacks, back up your system times three on campus, off campus, in the cloud. I think, I think you know, clients that are not backing up properly put themselves at risk and, and, and sort of in this environment put themselves today more at risk to wipe-aware type attacks. So that, um, update it and patch it. They're all good advice in a situation like this when you have uh, hackers that are looking to pick off your weaknesses and exploit them.
1: Hey Paul, do you think CISOs are taking advantage of this situation to get some of the things done that they haven't been able to get done, maybe budget pass through that they haven't been able to uh, get through before uh, because of this threat? (laughs) Is that something that you see?
2: you know uh a good friend of mine is, on the crisis management side once said never let a good crisis go to waste mm. and um and there's something to be said in that um and there's something to be said about the current environment being you know very um very um hard hitting when it comes to a, C- a, a ceo or a board wanting to know what's going on have we taken all the proper precautions you know I don't mind um when CISOs take that approach because um we have traditionally met a bunch of um hard-headed hard-headed thinking that is not necessarily looking around the corner for the next attack so if I were CISO I'd say look in the newspapers holy moly, this is a big problem. We got to prepare and protect ourselves and do blah, blah, blah.
1: Right. Right. Paul, I noticed in your bio that you're a cyber Avenger. What is this cyber Avenger? What's that, what's that all about?
2: Oh, it's, um, it's a very funny story, but early in my career, I represented, um, Marvel comics and, um, Right about the time that the Cyber Avengers and Walt Disney bought um, Walt Disney bought Marvel Comics out of bankruptcy, and I decided that for lots of different reasons, you know, a not-for-profit group that people could cheer for, that people could say, "rah-rah, go get them guys." might be helpful in our environment. Meaning, not necessarily a vendor or a provider or somebody who would look get looked at crosswise. We're just a group of guys, you know, who do things, you know, for free, write articles for free, speak for free, but try to give really good I- I- advice. So, you know, I, I I hearken back to my days representing Disney, and um, and and certainly, you know, I think we're in a world today where Somebody um, needs someone to cheer for. Whoever that is, I don't know, but let it be the Cyber Avengers.
1: <laughs> That's very cool. I'm going to check it out. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to check it out. It's the CyberAvengers.com. If anybody wants to take a take a gander, but uh, it sounds really cool. I also noticed that you know we have a few other things in common. You taught at Harvard and FSU, and so did I. I've taught at both of these schools as a guest instructor. In fact, I graduated Florida State University. And uh, Florida State has a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, I love that school. What do you do down there when you go down there and teaching? And in, in, uh, how's that playing out in terms of the curriculum and, and some of the classes that uh, they're offering in cybersecurity?
2: Well, Florida State is uh, uh, very forward leaning when it comes to cybersecurity. They see the dramatic need in Florida for um, for teaching and education. They see they see job openings. Um, and they're you know been very um positive in terms of taking suggestions from you know an old war dog like me, putting them into courses, putting them into training materials, and then streaming out you know it's a great school with a wonderful alumni um had Itty bitty little issues regarding the football team, but I'm sure that will turn around in the coming years. But, you know, I think like many, like many universities, it has seen um, world events, um, both as an opportunity and as a need to teach cybersecurity to undergrads and, and at the lowest levels possible. We need more people to take these jobs and, and, and staff them or we're never going to get ahead of the bad guys.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I agree. And I think we have to pay special attention to some of these curriculums and help academia uh, formulate these curriculums in a way that they're productive and prepare people for real life jobs. And so uh, that's one of the things that I've been trying to help them out with as well. And I got to tell you, I usually go down like once a year. But there's no direct flight out of the New York City area to Florida State University down in Tallahassee. And that is a major deterrent sometimes for me. I mean, it's just not a very easy place to get to from New York. And I, can't, I can understand how we can't have one nonstop flight that goes there. But uh, I'm still hoping that they fix that. Um, well, I'm, I'm just hoping, George, that it's not 110 degrees the next
2: time I go down. Um, <laughs> it's been 110 degrees the past two times. And one of those times was October, and um, you know that's a that's a big um, that's a big kick in the ass um, when you're going down to teach to, to walk outside and get your butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's such a beautiful place though, and every time I go there, I never want to leave. And the kids are just super super smart. I mean, Florida State has really just sort of skyrocketed on the, um, on, on, with their rankings in, in public universities in the United States. They're doing very, very well. And uh, I'm just so proud to be uh, an alumnus of, of Florida State. But what else are you working on today over at the, uh, at the firm? Like, tell us some of the things that you are getting, you know, uh, called out on, some of, the, some of the jobs you're working. Sure, sure. Um, a lot of
2: regulatory issues for SEC clients. I I think that the summer taught us that if you're not on top of your public disclosures, um, you know, and and in particular, I'm thinking about Marriott. Um, If you're not on top of your public disclosures, you know, you potentially are going to get thumped by the SEC. Um, So I do a lot of SEC related work. I do a lot of investment advisor work. Um, for the firm, you know, I do lots of different things, but again, sort of the forte is the the bad big, ugly mess that will get a call, and you know i 'll have to send five fly teams around the country in thirty seconds uh to bring back uh to bring back a company from the brink of death you know i as George, I kind of learned that from my past job at Wild Gotchel, where everything was always. Doom and gloom, and it kind of holds true when it gets to cyber because you get in situations that are just awful, and you have to try to figure
1: out how on earth do I keep this company alive? You know, you mentioned ransomware earlier on, and um, I'm wondering if, you know, what are you advising your clients uh, outside of cyber hygiene? to defeat this ransomware epidemic? I mean, I, I think you mentioned before, obviously you back up, you know, two or three times, different locations, things like that. Um, is there anything else that they could do? Sure, I, I, I think I'm, I'm growing into a full believer
2: into disaster recovery as a service, whereby, you know, taking advantage of the tremendous horsepower of the cloud you know, basically having a uh, a cold site that I can get up and running in an hour, and, and get back online again. I think there's a lot of for the right organization, especially like healthcare. Uh, I, I see a lot of n- need for disaster recovery. You know, for heavy manufacturing sector clients, I see disaster recovery. I really do think you know. W- w- Many clients do not take advantage of something as simple as the cloud that can make your life a hell of a lot easier. If you get attacked with, uh, or if you get attacked by a RIAC or some other dastardly piece of ransomware,
1: who do you think the best people are to provide those services? Uh, cloud providers, obviously, but who else? Maybe. Yeah, you know, I have worked with the bigger the bigger cloud providers only
2: because I have tended to work with bigger companies. Uh, I've also worked with the bigger cloud providers because you run into different levels of, of privacy and confidentiality. Um, you run into um, all sorts of um, issues with the department of defense client and really, and truly it's only the big guys that can handle those sorts of issues. Um, you probably know what I'm talking about with the the DOD type clouds and everything. Um, but you know, they're able to be a lot more responsive because they get it and they understand it and they've
1: frankly done it before. Are the cloud providers providing disaster recovery as a service right now? Are they are they pushing that out there?
2: You know, they're 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 getting to the point whether you want to call it cloud backup to disaster recovery, which is only one or two steps unrelated, you know, I, I think they're getting to the point where, um, you know, m- my dad used to call those uh, old um, Polaroid cameras the push-here dummy ca- carrier uh, right. cameras, and I think we're getting to the point where we, are, we have push-here dummy backup systems that can allow um, companies to to really back up their, their networks and do things very automatically. And I think that's what we frankly need. We need, um, we need solutions here in plain English that are easy, that are simple, that can do the job and are not going to scare the crap out of somebody. And, you know, I always tend to see that with many vendors who just provide something that they can't explain in English. And they wonder why they're not selling more if a director can't even understand what it's supposed
1: to do. Hey, Paul, in your position at the law firm, I know you get to work with a lot of small companies. What can small companies do to increase their cybersecurity defense and death posture?
2: Oh, um, you know, I, I think I'm a big believer in MSPs. Now I know that has MSPs have gotten, um, Rattled and shaken by the um, ransomware attacks on their sites as well too, but you know if you don't have either the people resources and the money resources to defend your own network, you got to do something. I, I I'm a big believer in in, in MSPs in the right cases. Now I I think that in you know, a total reliance not the greatest idea. Um, and certainly, as you get to be a bigger um, a, a bigger fund, you know, you need to take more and more control of what you're doing. You can't outsource your compliance to an MSP. But I think for, uh, you know, a mom and pop shop, I think it's a great idea, great solution.
1: Okay, folks, we've got to transition into a commercial break here, but stick with us. Lots more to come here on Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at TF7. That's with the number seven, radio.com. I remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll right back with our special guest, partner at the law firm Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Ferrillo. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: New development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line, getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter, secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more
5: about how we can help you. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
6: Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at ValleyMail.com. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org
3: or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Partner and shareholder at the law firm Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Ferrillo. So, Paul, in the first segment, we were talking about uh, ransomware and how people can protect themselves from ransomware, but what are some of the other attacks that you're worried about for your clients? What, what sort of other problems are they having, and uh, how, is, how does that translate to their the regulatory posture in um, dealing with the regulators?
2: You know, George, I don't know if you remember when we were kids, every now and then you used to get an email from the Sultan of Arabia who was promising riches and glory and a whole bunch of other things if you clicked on the link. And, you know, being, you know, a kid from Long Island, I had no idea what that meant. And I guess good for me, I didn't click on the link. But it's funny how 30 years later, That's the primary attack against companies uh, phishing or spear phishing. So, I mean, certainly you see a ton of that going on um, as a precursor to not just um, ransomware, but to all other sorts of malware or um, um, malware designed to steal information. I I think um, we are seeing, you know, this in almost every case. but, you know, are we seeing um, dedicated monthly, quarterly solutions for employees, spear phishing, trading, training, social media training? You know, in isolated cases, we are, but I don't think we're seeing enough, enough training for employees. And I think, you know, the regulators have always harped on employee training as one area that didn't cost you a lot of money that you could focus on to try to do better and improve your security posture.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to the regulators and dealing with the regulators, some of the smaller companies struggle particularly. Um, I don't think they're prepared, especially, you know, you mentioned before in terms of uh, their notification requirements. What's the best defense for clients, Uh, you know, say it's a a registered investment advisor, right? Um, Yeah. From a regulatory inquiry right? Say, you know, you mentioned the SEC before. What, are they, what should they be doing to make sure that they're ready for these inquiries?
2: You know, there's all sorts of requirements that you, that you deal with, like you must have policies and procedures and guidance and, and, and training. Um, the one thing I think about a lot is, is the governance aspect of these uh regulatory um guidance packages which require the board or managing directors or senior people within the organization to meet and to understand and to um improve upon the cybersecurity posture of an ria um you know i always harp on this with clients that you know when's the last time you were at to to the board and if they say 1972, that's not good enough for me. I, I, I think that, honestly, we have to get to the point where everyone is in the loop. You know, uh, cyber is not just an IT problem. As they say, it's everyone's problem. But I, I think if there were a more direct approach, consistent approach to managing directors and, and board members, I think we'd all be better off.
1: How about the NIST framework? What's your opinion on that? Does that carry the day in terms of, you know, small companies?
2: I, anybody who's re- done any reading about me knows I love the NIST cybersecurity framework. I've worked on it, you know, since 2014 when it came out. I've, I've, I've advised on it. Um, I think it is, it is one way that any business, whether you're a mom and pop or you it on the same page about IT or cybersecurity and make improvements to your security posture. I, I think it's it unfortunately was not made mandatory for the private sector. I understand the reasons why, but in some sense, if it if it is being cited by plaintiffs' counsel and class action complaints, probably is mandatory anyway. I think it's I think it's our best hope for doing better from a cybersecurity perspective. I wish more, more clients would adopt it and more clients would more fully adopt uh, the provisions of the framework. I think it's a great, great thing for everybody.
1: So you mentioned boards before, right before I asked you about this. I mean, what do you think uh, about the communication in most uh, companies right now in relation to their boards? How often should boards be talking about cybersecurity?
2: That's a really good question. And I remember the old days where it was barely 15 minutes a year. Um, I put out some new advice for clients that I believe it's um, board meetings, as you know, are are usually quarterly with annual meetings once a year. I try to push for 30 minutes a board meeting, um, direct conversations with the CISO, in order that the board members don't hear any, so they hear unvarnished information, so they hear it right from the CISO, so they can ask questions of the CISO. You know, you all see these things about the CISO being, you know, needing a seat at the board table, and I agree on that. I think they do. So half hour, once a quarter, maybe longer at an annual meeting, there needs to be a discussion of, of cyber risks, cyber profiles, and certainly how the company wants to proceed. And there's no more better time than today, George, when certain industry sectors like the defense industrial base are, are faced with new guidance and guidelines, called, You know something called the CMMC. Um, so I, I really think you gotta get people on the same page or cybersecurity doesn't work.
1: You know, we often talk about what the CISO should be presenting to the board and how they should present it. You know, in what format, what kind of information, and how much. But what should what questions should the board be asking the CISO? We've never really talked about that too much.
2: Yeah, I do. I, I do because board members uh, still are at a loss sometimes. What should I ask? Right. Um, you know, I, I I look at this. Um, very simply from a, you know, when you put the key in in the car or you leave the key in the dashboard, does the car start? Um, So number of events, uh, number of incidents, number of breaches, um, how long it took to find um, the breach, how long did it take to remediate what happened I look at things, you know, very basically. Does the system work or does it not work? If time to remediation, time to remediate, uh, has gone up quarter to quarter, does that indicate a resource problem? If time to find a breach goes up quarter to quarter, is that another, another indication of a resource problem? I think there's lots of questions that people can ask very simply and very succinctly to find out is my cybersecurity working or not. And I try to stay with the basics because otherwise everything gets lost in the shuffle.
1: So if they don't know what to ask, you said a lot of times they don't know what to ask, who they should, who should they be talking to about this and what kind of outside expertise, uh, expert, expert guidance should they be seeking And from who really?
2: Well, it's an excellent question. And, um, there are a few of us in, in the world that go back to the time of Sarbanes-Oxley, when there was actually, uh, you know, when Sarbanes-Oxley came out, there was a need for uh, accounting savvy directors sitting on boards. Um, you know, you know, either we we bring the we bring the expertise in from the outside. And, and start hiring um, IT and cyber-savvy directors for the board, or we bring people from in from the outside. For instance, me or PwC or Deloitte or an accounting firm that has, you know, not just cyber expertise, but governance expertise as well, too. <laughs> you know, cyber is just... Uh, too complicated to leave people to their own devices. I think the more more guidance people get, the better. And believe me, I don't need to be hired by every, every board. I have plenty to do, George, but, you know, I find the more guidance I give, the better off a company is ultimately because they start to listen.
1: Yeah, so I guess, you know, specific law firms, um, big consultancies, you know, law firms like, your, like the one that you work for obviously can help them. I just find it interesting. I mean, what's your opinion about boards being held liable and accountable for some of these big breaches? Like when I see a big breach, all of a sudden, you know, it, it, cybersecurity has gotten so political. It, uh, it really upsets me. And, you know, you see the, the CISO, you know, be the fall guy or the fall gal, and, you know, they take the hit and, you know, they lose their job and, you know, I mean, and, and from people who, like you said before, and I think, you know, a lot of other guests have mentioned, a lot of these boards don't really understand cybersecurity and they don't understand the risk. Yeah. They're making these decisions. They're basically just using these people. They, they take the hit and then the, the, the CEO and the board, they ride off into the sunset. They don't have any problems at all. I mean, what's your opinion about them being sued?
2: Yeah, you know, Delaware law is pretty clear on this, George, in terms of that directors have um, oversight duty when it comes to cybersecurity, whether you want to call that risk-related or cyber-related. They're the guys who have oversight over cyber. Is it working or is it not working? And if it's not working, why is it not working? You know, but the the threshold obviously is 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 pretty high to hold them liable under a case called Caremark. Um, you basically, you know, are have to be found to be sticking your head in the sand to get to the to to the, the level of of liability in and the standards necessary to find a board liable. The, that said, sort of the big problem is board members are getting sued more and more. And you don't want there to be a reluctance for people to serve on boards because of the cybersecurity condition or predicament that the company finds itself in. So, you know, I do I do think there are answers out there. There's answers um uh, like um for instance, one group I work with the Digital Directors network, bringing in people who are trained um, in both i t and corporate governance. You need to be asking the right questions to get the right answers. You don't necessarily have to hire a thousand dollar an hour lawyer to get what you need, and that should, you know that people should really take to heart here. You can hire me, but you don't need to. There's ways to get this information. And, and it's just a matter of coming up with the right questions and, and following the right guidance to, to do a better job here. So I hear your point, point, George. The standard of liability under Caremark is extremely tall and high to get to, though um, I certainly do think there are cases being litigated out there today. Um, that are are potential
1: uh, casualties under the corporate governance standards that we rely upon today. So you're seeing uh, boards being sued today? You're seeing that happen?
2: Absolutely. Both from a securities law perspective, meaning there's an announcement um, of a breach. It was substantial. The stock drops. There's a market cap loss. There's an alleged faulty disclosure regarding cybersecurity. You can think of a couple of them that have been out there. And then boards getting sued in breach of fiduciary lawsuits um, um, by shareholders claiming they failed this oversight duty, failed to properly oversee cybersecurity. You know, the standard is high. I will note that there's been a couple of cases that have allowed these Cairmark suits to proceed recently. So I don't think a board member can just sit back and say, oh, they'll never get me. That's not true. You know, when you get the political backlash, as I think you're talking about, and you, you can't get out of the news cycle for days or weeks or months, that's going to get you sued. And you really need to prepare for that downside by doing the little things right the first time around, like cyber corporate governance.
1: So what else? uh, So let's dive into that a little bit. Like, so if you're, when you advise a board, what they can do to protect themselves from these litigation threats, um, what do you tell them specifically?
2: I I, I keep it really, I, I keep it really easy. Are you doing employee training, employee guidance, you know, Quarterly. Are you training your, um, your, your employees and your directors and offices on spear phishing attacks? Yes or no? That's something everybody should be doing. Um, vulnerability and compromise assessments. That's something easy that anybody could do. A vulnerability assessment can catch the patching problem, can catch problems early on that if left unpatched, um, like they have been in certain cases for, for not just months, but years. You know, there's only mayhem um, that's going to come from stuff like that. So I like the assessment piece. Uh, I, I, I like the MSP piece. I, I like sort of the outside advisor piece. Um, you just can't do nothing in right. this environment and expect it to go well.
1: Yeah, I think it, a, lot, a lot of it comes back to the cyber hygiene. But, Paul, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, partner at the law firm Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Ferrillo. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you.
5: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at X-Analytics.com. That's X-Analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
6: Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at ValleyMail.com. and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org
3: or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
0: You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again
1: is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, partner and shareholder at the law firm Greenberg Traurig, Mr. Paul Ferrillo. So, Paul, right before the break, we were talking about uh, vulnerability assessments, and you mentioned the fact that conducting various vulnerability assessments helps organizations prepare and increase their defense and death posture against cybersecurity attacks. How important is it to understand who your adversary is when conducting these assessments?
2: Um, Really important, George, because If you step back for a moment, step back outside of the nation state realm, you know, you're not some DOD contractor or somebody making, you know, crazy military stuff, you're probably dealing with a cyber criminal and the cyber criminal wants money from you. And he wants it it easy, he wants it simple, he wants it wired to you. He's probably going to come out with you, come at you with a ransomware attack, and because maybe theoretically you're a knucklehead, you haven't backed up your tapes. So I think knowing you, who you're dealing with is very important to then plan your defenses around against stuff like backup tapes, patching and updating. Do the little things to make sure that cybercriminal goes away and doesn't touch you.
1: You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I've heard some people recently go out and say that the, knowing who your adversary is and attribution to cyber attacks isn't important. And it's the old adage that, you know, just let's, let's just conduct the root cause analysis and get on with the mitigation control. And I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I'm really happy to hear you say that. And I'm glad that you're telling your clients that. How about patching issues, Paul? I mean, this is always one of the top material risks in a, in a company and we talk about here on the show whether it's an operational issue or whether it's a technology issue. What are your thoughts around the problems people are having with patching?
2: Well, it's a huge problem. I don't know if you remember, George, but I remember when Patch Tuesday was actually just Patch Tuesday. (laughs) Now it's Patch Tuesday, Patch Wednesday, and Patch Thursday. (laughs) Um, You know, you've got so many patches you're dealing with and so many software flaws out there What do you patch first? What do you patch second? How do you keep up? How do you have the resources? So it's a big problem. I don't blame companies. I don't blame, you know, investment advisors, private equity firms. Um, But it's just one of those things where if you don't devote the resources to patching your most critical vulnerabilities, your CVEs, within 72 hours, Somebody's going to attack you within 36 hours or 48 hours, and it's going to be a problem. So um, patching is a huge issue. It's not going away anytime soon. Um, you know uh, there are um, potential cloud solutions that will help you with your patching, but again, for larger organizations, they may not be in the cloud all the time and in all places to be able to take advantage of patches that are pushed out there in the course of business. So big problem, no end in sight.
1: You know, from a legal perspective, a lot of times when you have a merger and acquisition of two different companies, there's so many issues around cybersecurity um, and getting everybody on the same page. You know, eliminating duplicative systems, there's all kinds of updating the technology. What are you seeing around m a issues?
2: Oh, it's a huge problem. It always was a huge problem. And after Marriott and Starwood and the events of this summer, it's, it's, it's even more of a problem. You know, I, I, I think it's, um, it's a risk-based analysis for a private equity firm or a purchaser of a business is I think you have to walk in assuming you're buying a problem. How do you find it and how do you fix it? And you have to look because if you don't look something, somebody like the UK ICO commissioner is going to ding you with a finer penalty in a hundred million dollar range. So I, I think to me, it's a, it's a risk-based problem. There will always be problems regarding merging of um, cyber security systems or networks or, networks that are perhaps congruent but incongruent in places, Um, but you got to look, and that's why we recommend hiring, you know, outside advisors like, you know, say, for instance, FTI Consulting to assist with the merger because it's just too difficult a problem for a purchaser um, to handle on their own.
1: Yeah, I think Anthony Ferrante is over at FTI Consulting now. I think I have yeah, to he's
2: good, a good friend of mine, and we've done some M and A deals together. And um, you know, it, it, like I said, it's too huge a problem right now. I I tell board members to almost proactively get outside help to help protect them. Um, by insulating them from uh, by insulating them from attack, that we they can look to an outside advisor for help.
1: Yeah, I, I was uh, I was just talking to him the other day about coming on the show, so this is sort of timely. But hopefully, we'll be able to get him, Paul. What's 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 your final comments on twenty twenty? What are your predictions? Do you have any thoughts? What should we expect to see in the next twelve months in cybersecurity?
2: Um. Uh, I'm going to try and not utter the word chaos, Um, but I think, you know, I don't see any good things coming down the pike here. I I think there are 2019 proof we haven't learned much about anything about ransomware or defense or backing up or anything else. We just haven't learned it. 2019 brings us, you know, a brand new culture around the Department of Defense and Contractors. Um, You know, 2019 is going to bring more SEC-related activity into the daily lives of companies who are now going to really have to worry a lot more about disclosures than they've ever learned. You know, I hate to say, George, it's going to be good for business, but It's really going to be good for business. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm just out here to give good advice to folks, give solid advice, give
1: understandable advice to people who really need our help and and guidance and support. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'd love to have you back for one of the the panels that we're putting together, one of the legal panels. So let's stay in touch. Uh, You know, I'd like to uh, keep in touch. and Happy to participate.
2: Happy to participate at any time, George, and participate for your listeners in in terms of again giving, you know, um, what I I called in an earlier email to you, the basics of cybersecurity. We just can't ignore them; they're too important. And you know, if we can't get the hard things, maybe we
1: could get the easy things, like backing it up uh, down cold. So thank you again, George. Well said, Paul. Well said. Okay, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at csHub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.